Welcome back to Lockman's Basketball. Today, we're recapping the performances of a bevy of 2024 draft prospects from the opening week. Lockman's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome, you are Twins Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. My name is Andrew Cruz. I'm your Saturday host covering the WBA draft and prospect scouting. I'm joined by co-host M. Adler and Lincoln Schaefer. M covers WBA with a focus on player development and the game within the game. Lincoln is our biomechanics guru and contributes to our WBA draft coverage at the next. This episode is brought to you by brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. So I want to open up today's episode by diving into a little bit more into our 2024 preseason draft board and the process behind it. Because if you look at our board compared to ESPN mock draft or another public mock draft, there's definitely some big differences in the process behind it. Also, just the players listed. So for you, Em, what do you think is the biggest separator between how we look at prospects versus other media sites? Right. So I think the biggest thing is something that I've written on our board since uh, since I was doing way too much work by myself and you and uh, we hadn't even joined up as a team yet, which is the biggest thing for us is that we're looking for projectability into a WNBA role. It's not just, you know, who has the biggest chance of being a star. It's not just who has the skills that look the best and that we want to see in the WNBA succeed. It's who has the skill set that is, who has skill sets that are, you know, likely to translate into, you know, valuable and reliable and consistent WNBA roles. So what that means is when you have someone who profiles really well as a three and D player, I don't know who I could possibly be referring to here in this draft. But if you have someone who, who profiles as a real solid 3 and D player, that is going to just be a lot more reliable than someone who is a dominant post scorer but can't really do anything but score in the post. I don't know who I could possibly be referring to here either. And especially if, you know, we're looking for traits that the athletic level jumps so much between college and the W that, you know, not only do you need a very well-rounded skill set to be able to just to be able to reliably fill those kind of roles and to have things to fall back on and whatnot, but it also means that there are, again, especially because of the athletic difference, there are things that can work really dominantly in college that just aren't going to work out in the WNBA pretty much at all. And there are things in college that can work out real solidly. And then in the W, just because of however you were getting to there in college, it can pretty much translate almost directly. So I think the biggest thing for us is just about the fact that, you know, we're looking for players who we think can translate into very solid, very reliable WNBA roles, even if it's, even if it's not stardom, even if it's not exceptional outlier play. And the other thing is for me, uh, we're very specifically not trying to do a mock draft. I'm not interested in trying to predict what WNBA GMs are going to do. That's not, something that's interesting to me that's not something that i'm interested in doing so um it's it's about 
making our own evals, spending dozens of hours watching film and like coming to our own conclusions, whether or not those are things that agree with the consensus. Um, I think that that's, that's the most fun part is trying to figure out your own evaluation of these players and not um, relying on, you know, oh, what did Mike Vopel say in his latest mock draft on ESPN or, or like, what has this GM or that GM said in an interview this week? That's not something I'm interested in. I would like to, for, it's, it's important to me for us all to uh, do these evals ourselves and watch this tape. Right. And I think we've had a pretty solid evidence over the past couple of years of the reliability of doing that over doing a mock draft. And there's nothing wrong with doing a mock draft, to be clear. You know, these are things that fill very different purposes and mock drafts are fun. Mock drafts are a great way to, you know, smuggle in player analysis and, and team outlooks into something that it's going to drive clicks. But, you know, I think if you're just trying to evaluate the players and just see what that is, you know, that's why we do a board here. And that's also, you know, I, that's also something that I think we've had uh, pretty solid success over in the couple of years that we've done this, you know, it, just in terms of calling out um, just the order that, that we've had things in the past couple of years. Some, I guess, later around players that we were sort of higher on the consensus uh, that's worked for, um, for the record, if, uh, if Hunter and Lincoln, especially Lincoln, uh, we're here two years ago when I did the 2022 board. I know we would have been very high on Shakira Austin. Um, so I'm taking my, I, I'm taking my lumps there, but also, you know, in our current setup, we, we, we probably would have hit that one too. Um, but I think, I, I think the other thing other than, you know, when I mentioned what Lincoln mentioned that I want to stress on in terms of why our board really differs so much from a lot of the um, rest of the public side conversation is because you know, we're doing trait-based scouting and, you know, quote unquote trait-based scouting, I think can be a little trite. It can sound a little bit like, you know, almost like corporate word speak, but it's really important to identify that, you know, we're not just looking at a player, a player's production and trying to fit that into a role. We're not just looking at, you know, what she did in given games and trying to fit that in. It's really diving into their games and really being able to study the tape on that, you know, in addition to, considering the stats to make sure that we have the right reads and considering, you know, the arc of a player development and all those sorts of things. But it's really being able to see, like, it's not just what she does, but the way that she does it to figure out how that is going to translate. And I think that level of nuance is the is really the make or break on certain things. That's, you know, how you look at Melissa Smith as a prospect and you look at the defense and you're like, you know, this is absolutely a back-to-back um, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, but also the way that this is going to trend in the W is really shaky. This is how um, you know you get to the last draft and you look at, um, or, or sorry, I, I say you get to this draft actually, and I think the biggest um, example that hasn't changed since we released the board uh, is Angel Reese. You look at Angel Reese and you say, you know, I've I've called her an absolutely dominant, you know, college player, and that's obvious. That's not a hot take. I'm not going out on a limb here. But, you know, she is one of the best, like, 16-foot drivers and scorers that we've seen here. And you can make an entire college career off that. And she's also, dating back to Maryland, been a very good rim protector. But it's the rim protection that I know, I shouldn't say I know, but I'm pretty confident can and will translate to the W. But it's the scoring that you look at and you say, you know, what's the process here? What are the traits? And the traits are, it's a lot of 
putbacks off our own misses, which is fine. Andre Drummond was very good at that. And I don't mean that as an insult. Um, but the issue is, you know, if you don't have those finishing moves to be able to get there in the first place, that's a concern. What's your counter? I think, honestly, that might be the biggest thing for scorers in translating is you don't, you really, for the most part, don't need a good counter. You just need the threat of a counter in college. In the W, you need a good counter and usually and usually um, a way to make those synergistic together. And if you want to be an, all, uh, an all-star and an player, you need a counter to that counter. And I think, you know, those traits that we look at and that I think, you know, we all actually came into working as a team together already having these ideas in mind. I think that's one of the reasons why we are, I don't want to say super similar on a lot of these things, but why we pretty easily translate, uh, you know, translate our own knowledge into each other and why we are pretty easily able to see what each other are seeing and sort of go off of that and talk in the same language. I also don't think it's a bad thing if people disagree on boards. I think if everyone, just with sports in general, if everyone agrees on prospects or anything, it's not fun at that point. You know, like, it's, it's, it, that's the whole point of sports, have discourse, have positive conversations about prospects and see where you're differencing on, you know. So I think with our board. Yeah, and, then, and that's the fun part, too. Like, this would be a lot less fun if we didn't have to talk for a redacted length of time before we release, before we start writing right. the board to figure out what the actual ranking is. So after the break, we're going to get into some prospects and we'll talk about Caitlin Clark, Rakia Jackson, Angel Reese, and more. We spend a lot of time talking together, you and I. We are we get fired up together on wins and losses, who starts and who sits. But I'm thankful we have a connection we all have. And today I want our chat to be a little more personal. So I just learned that you could get a one-year supply on ED medications. You realize what they mean what that means. Bring on extended travel, bring on the next natural disaster or supply chain issue. You're covered, my friend. And this is possible because of our friends at Jace Medical. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply. On your daily medication. Remember to use promo code locked on at checkout for a discount as well. A verified customer had this to say about Jace. I'm thinking for the service. Supply chain issues caused me to cut pills in half to sit to have it. I ordered most of my daily meds with a year supply. I also ordered antibiotic kit. I feel secure now. Prices are lower than local pharmacies. I highly recommend this for everyone. If you or someone else you love would get some peace of mind by having a year supply of any daily med, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. Remember to use promo code locked on for $20 off your purchase. And we're back. So let's lead this conversation into Rakia Jackson. Um, M wrote a detailed article on Rakia Jackson and maybe having the most important game of a prospect this year against Team USA in an exhibition game. She was extremely impressive, extremely efficient. So I want to give you the floor, Em, to talk about that and then maybe a little bit of where you were wrong on Rikia heading into the season. Right. So, you know, the thing for me, when we were doing our discussions on the preseason board, was with Rikia, it was... And I and I put this in the piece. I obviously highly recommend anyone, you know, pause the pod, go read that. You can skim it. You know, there are it's pretty easy to find a couple of uh, important paragraphs that I'm going to sort of reference here. But like I said there, 
when we were doing sort of our preseason board discussions, for me, the biggest thing with her is she's obviously, she's not one dimensional, but she's does not have the most expansive skill set. It's just that the things that she is good at, she is really freaking good at. But the, the, the sort of question is, you know, if, you know, there's some level of regression when you get that, when you get to the WNBA, when you're going against better athletes and, you know, the windows get smaller and tougher, it's our, all right, if that takes down, you know, maybe dampens that scale, how much the, does that affect the overall package? And that was the big thing for me with Rakia was, you know, there's, there is not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of supports if the scoring just doesn't hit as well as we want it to. Like if the scoring doesn't hit well, she's out of the WNBA, just sort of, just sort of straight up. And that's one of the reasons, you know, Hunter, you and I talked about this on our uh, podcast uh, sort of last spring. And that's where we were at with her going into that draft until she deferred to another year. But the thing for me about the Team USA thing and the thing that really stood out was once she, you know, got the feel of the game, got up to speed of the game and got to really, um, you know, just deciding that, th- that you know, she had found her rhythm and she was going to make the second quarter hers. She went off second quarter, four or five from the field, uh, including a pull-up three. You know, she was doing these, you know, with small windows. She usually has small windows in, the, in college as well. She's a really good athlete, but for whatever reason that I can't really figure out and that I don't think actually really matters, she just can't generate particularly good windows as a shot creator for herself. But like, you know, she hits the tough shots all the time. And in this game, you know, she's hitting them over Alicia Gray. She's hitting, the, she's hitting them over Ryan Howard. She's hitting them over Kalia Copper, despite sort of being draped all over by them. And to me, it was the process of, you know, managing how tight they were in coverage, but still being able to find, you know, the small windows that she has and the feel for, you know, getting the exact right moment, whether that's, you know, cutting off a drive at the free throw line, giving a little pump, stepping over with the right foot. And just the second that the window opens, because, you know, Alicia Gray or Ryan Howard has sort of lunged in the wrong direction, then she releases and it's just and it just goes right in. And I think, you know, we saw that <laughs> obviously a couple of nights ago in terms of the Tennessee-Florida State game. She dropped 31 points. I think it was 16 rebounds, four assists as well, only a couple turnovers, I believe. And, you know, obviously that was a dominant game. And what was, you know, even more impressive about it was the fact that, you know, the Knowles don't have particularly good defenders at the four, but their center, uh, Michaela Timpson, was my vote for, she was all, uh, she was ACC all defense last year. She was my vote for ACC defensive player of the year. She is one of the best shot blockers and protectors in the country. And Rakia Jackson's just ability to manipulate timing on her finishes, her, um, her feel for just the finishing process, her ability to really adapt to the rhythm of the game and to be able to be comfortable and confident and just so polished in terms of her approach to the game. That I think was another thing that stood out to me, especially in the second half, honestly, of the Team USA game where things weren't hitting as well, but she also wasn't trying to force things. She was moving well within the game, although the game didn't necessarily move in this to her in the same way to the second quarter. But it was just, again, to me, still so impressive because WNBA athlete, she's hanging with them and they're they're playing pretty well. And she's doing all the things that we know she can. And she's doing them in a way that is going up against these players who, you know, a month prior were still playing in the W in the middle of their seasons. And despite the athleticism, she's still able to get it off. And I think for me, that was the biggest thing was just 
being able to manage the timing and the rhythms and especially having that polish um, that I think, you know, a couple players from this uh, from this previous draft class really proved us wrong in terms of our approach going into the draft cycle. Uh, and I saw that in her as well. Yeah, I think that her scoring mix was really, really impressive in that Florida State game. She um, set the tone early with some really impressive drives. She got to the rim. She used her body to keep defenders from being able to um, – get two points where they can block her shot. She hit a couple big threes at the end of the second quarter and early in the third quarter. And doing that uh, really just opens up so much of her game otherwise. We all know that she loves that mid-post ISO where she's very good. And then she had eight offensive rebounds in that game. So just combining all that together, it's a really solid scoring mix that is the kind of thing that you really like to see uh, from from someone who's a dominant scorer in in that mid-post ISO, to see her uh, be able to add the drives and the three-point shooting in a more uh, tangible way is just a really, really important thing for her as a scorer. Yeah, and I didn't have a... I mean, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I had her, I think it was uh, 17th coming into the year um, when we came together for our preseason boards. I had a grade that was you know, closer to the players above her than it was to the players below her. But I've absolutely moved her up a couple of grades since. And you know, I there's pretty much no chance I drop her out of the first round uh, at this point, at least on mine, uh, on my list. And just given the fact that in terms of our, board, our boards, especially pretty much all of us, the players that we've had above her are players that we like and that are really toolsy and have demonstrated really interesting skills at times. But they're players that, you know, in some ways, this is sort of a little bit of a make or break year. You know, Charlize Ledger Walker has to be consistent from three and she has to, you know, not sort of just be wildly inconsistent scoring from game to game in terms of the finishing as well. Maddie Shear has to show something in terms of growth as an offensive player. And these are, you know, to me, players that, you know, with the make or break, it would be very easy to move. And I'm not saying that that's wrong for me. Uh, it'd be very easy. And I could really easily see myself having continuing to move up Rakia Jackson, not sort of on her own accord, but because other players aren't answering those questions. And so she just sort of becomes, you know, number six, seven, eight, whatever, by the end of the season. And what'd you guys see from, we had another big prospect game this week between Iowa and Virginia Tech. We saw Elizabeth Kitley. We also had Caitlin Clark. Georgia Amor, what'd you see from, from them, Lincoln? Georgia Amor is better at creating space to get shots off than just about any guard I've ever watched. It's like mind boggling how well she is able to get to these step backs going to her left, where she's able to stay on balance while moving two or three feet in a hop step. It's, it's so fun to watch. She's an incredibly dangerous off-ball player, which isn't really something that's always true of five, six point guards. She's a really fun passer and a really, really dangerous shooter. Obviously, she got a little overshadowed by Caitlin Clark in that game, but that's the best player in college basketball. But Georgia Amor had 30 points of her own and hit, I think, six or seven threes. It's just, she's such a wildly unique archetype in the W specifically. We haven't really had a 5-6 guard that's launching threes to this degree before. And that's something that I'm really excited to see how it would translate to the next level. 
Yeah, I think as, on the Amor front, that was the thing that I was most interested in during that game, just because of the way that IO attacks. And no, no uh, pun reference to the AAU team intended, but that is something that I think that we are all, to varying degrees, pretty confident that can translate if given the opportunity for Amor is that that scoring package, you know, if the, if some of her um, scoring, actually, it's not some of her scoring, some of her, you know, finishing, she missed a couple layups in this game that I think weren't wide open, but like were ones that you want to see a, a top scoring prospect uh, hit. She, she missed a couple of those. Um, but, you know, the pull-up shootings, as you mentioned, it's, again, the best we've ever seen as far as per, uh, from the perimeter game, um, the shot creation. And she's, as, as we mentioned, encounters in the first segment. No, she doesn't just have the step back going to her left and, or the sidestep going to her left, but she not only sets it up to get there so well, but she's so good at using ball screens and so good at flying off the, um, just without the ball, without the ball, that defenders have to respect her going to her right as well. And I think that's one of the things that is, again, when we talk about counters, what really sets it up there. For me, the interesting thing about this game is what I've often said about her when we talk about projecting her defense is that, you know, she is five, six, five, five and a half, but she is really good defensively at being able to stick with drivers and to be able to, you know, consistently contest shots, even if she's not able to actually really disrupt uh, the release point. She's she's pretty good at navigating screens. You know, she's quite fine off the ball. She's not going to get lost. Um, she's good at, you know, sticking around stackers and whatnot. But the, the, the real thing for me that, you know, made me, that started to answer questions I had in a bad way was there were many times when, you know, she was sticking with someone she was rotating to uh, and they were attacking off the catch, driving off the catch. And she was defending and contesting their drive really well. This happened with Caitlin Clark a couple times too, uh, just, just um, off the dribble. And there were times that she was basically draped all over someone, did not commit a foul, really contested their drive. But, you know, given her height and given the fact that she can't physically really bump drivers off the line because of her size, it basically meant nothing to them as long as they were able to, you know, say, stay stable within their dribble. And I think we'll see as the season goes on and as we pay more attention to that. But if that's a trend that continues, I honestly don't see how she can be a WNBA starter for as much as I absolutely love the scoring and the playmaking and the lead guard capabilities. It's just, I don't know if that's tenable. So after the break, we'll get into some more, some more prospects from this week, Jewel Spear and plenty more. Prize picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. You can just select two or more players, pick more or less, on their projected stats and place your entry. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes PrizePix the number one daily fantasy sports app. PrizePix offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, PrizePix discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. PrizePix now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. Go to prizepix.com slash locked1nba or use promo code Locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Okay, so let's start off with another prospect that has really exploded to start of the season, taking over for Leah Boston in the starting lineup is Camila Cardoso. So I'll give it to you, Em, to start off with Cardoso's oh. game. Okay. 
I, I was giving a thumbs up because I was like, good pull. Um, yeah, there are, again, of all the players that we have on this list, there's a lot of players that come to just, you know, and this is how we set up the preseason board. Uh, they have one or two questions that, you know, if they answer them one way or the other, that's the difference between, you know, being a 45 grade, which second division, which is, you know, baseline second or like medium outcome second division starter. It's the difference between a 40 and like a high, or 45 and like a high three or like a low four and a 50, which is a first division starter. Ah, Car Camilla Cardoso really fits into this category. She showed, you know, a lot of things at Syracuse when she was, um, I believe it was ACC co-defensive player of the year as a freshman and was rookie of the year over what was genuinely at that point a dominant season for Manny Westbeld. Um, freshman year, not rookie of the year. Um, but there were some things that just, and I know you guys agreed, that some things that just kind of felt lost in the past couple years of South Carolina, mostly from an athletic standpoint, the ability to work in space. And, you know, I think we had questions about how much that was actually reflective of something that happened with her or something that was maybe misread from her time at Syracuse versus, you know, actually just having to work in basically two center lineups a lot and having to work with what was at that point very different differently abled oh uh, that does not sound right a very a very sort of different strength different weaknesses uh defensive lineups that south carolina teams the past couple of years have had and you know lincoln i know you have some strong thoughts on this you were looking at this as well but for me there was a lot of things that she did in that notre dame game in paris where i was at where i was almost blown away by her ability to navigate space and drop her ability to really flip her hips against drivers and not just you know the block she had against Natalie Marshall, but really against Kelly Watson, Hannah Hidalgo, these players who you would expect to be able to make her move more in space. Um, yeah, so I have very high hopes as we continue this season, and she's already shot way up my expectations. Lincoln, I'm wondering what you saw um, specifically to that to that end. Yeah, I think she's always been really good moving as a straight line player. She's got really solid strides. She. She moves kind of like a like a gazelle down the court. Her strides, she can probably move from like the three point line to half court in two and a half steps. She she just covers so much ground, and um her length is obviously like some of the blocks that she has just kind of look contemptuous. Like there's a fly <laughs> sitting on her shoulder, and then it, the ball is out of bounds. And, she was literally like, laughing after uh, yeah. she blocked Kylie Watson out of bounds in the second half. Yeah. She had 20 points, 15 rebounds, and four blocks in 24 minutes. <laughs> and I think it's a distinct possibility that she could average 20 points and 15 rebounds for this entire season. She's, like, just a, a dominant interior force, which is um, – the, there are definite – the questions that we have about um, especially her touch around the rim – um, and if she can add any sort of counter, any sort of mid-range game, which um, Lobo did say on that broadcast that she talked with Dawn about trying to add a mid-range shot for Cardoso this season, which is something I'd be very interested in seeing. And if it proves to be even like moderately effective, would uh, shoot her up our board, I think. But she's just she's a, a tremendous horizontal and vertical athlete. And those little nuances of her laterals uh, skills are the things that will make or break her as a prospect for us, I think. I think that's a good point. Given the fact that she's pro – Hunter, I'm wondering, given the fact that she's 
you know, she profiles as someone who, you know, you never are going to want to really hedge with, you're never going to really want to switch with, but also the W is gradually moving away from hedge dominant schemes anyway. You know, we're seeing with Boston, how that's going in Indiana, it worked fine for a, for a rookie. We expect it to get a hell of a lot better in the next couple of years as a drop big. I'm wondering what, setting aside the offense, because I think that's an interesting question as Lincoln just addressed, but setting aside the offense, you know, what do you want to see from her defensively as a drop big um, and what she can impact there? And as a possible helper, how much, how much weight do you put on that in terms of being able to say, you know, this is a real solid player. You'd take you know, I don't know, top eight. Yeah. I think she needs to be really, really good. Cause that she doesn't provide much as a, as, as a hedge, as a hedge defender, but I thought, there was some plays like you like you said where she flipped her hips extremely quickly. She wasn't quite at the level, but she was a little bit like below the three point line, and she made some really quick plays at the rim. I was impressed by that, and I also think with someone like Cardoso, and a lot of prospects of this size, it's it's mainly thinking how good do they have to be on as a rim protector to to understand? Okay, can you play them in the playoffs? Can you build a defense around them? And that's probably the biggest thing for me with Cardoso is because if we do not believe that she can be that defensive anchor or we view her more as like a backup big or someone that we can have come in for 10 to 15 minute stretches, that's probably a, a grade or two difference. Mm-hmm. So I think she just really needs to improve the offense um, to get to that starter level big, which is what we see with Boston um, at that level. So Cardoso is an extremely tough evaluation for me, probably the toughest in the class. Um I always have tough with those centers, and I think it's easier with her compared to someone like Kitley or whatever you would say there, just because Kitley doesn't have the defense, and then the offense is extremely limited. She does something that's probably not the most valuable thing in a center prospect, which is just weird fadeaways. So I think Cardoso has unteachable size. She has extremely solid drop defense right now. And if she keeps improving on that, if she keeps improving on her offensive game, like you said, at the mid-range jumper, I think we're talking about a player that could could really be a really good backup at the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And let's get into uh, one more prospect today in Jewel Spear. Jewel Spear's one of the three to four, one of my three to four favorite watches in the country this year. Elite three-point shooter. And we've seen we've seen some extreme efficiency so far this season for her. So, what have you seen, guys, uh, with with Jules' game and kind of projecting um, out the rest of the season in her role at Tennessee compared to where she was at at Wake Forest? I think it's absolutely a bonus for her to not have to carry massive usage. Uh, <laughs> it allows her to really uh, step up her abilities as an off-ball player. She's a tremendous shooter, as she's proven uh, through her multiple years at Wake Forest. And she's a, a tremendous shooter, which she's shown in her uh, two games at Tennessee so far. She's a combined 7 of 14 from 3. 50% is good. Um, <laughs> a very good number to be at. And she's just putting the ball in the hoop efficiently. There's obviously some... Um, things that she's still working on uh, integrating in with the system at Tennessee. There's a couple play calls that uh, she seems to have missed. The defense hasn't been necessarily great, but um, the thing that would get Jewel Spear into the WNBA is putting the ball in the hoop, and she has done that at a very high level at Tennessee so far. Yeah, Yeah, and there are players, you know, 
this actually, I think, gets into what we're taught, what uh, we mentioned before in terms of the development arc and that needing to come into play here. So, on what you just mentioned in terms of the playbook, you know, there are players over the past couple of years that you know we really liked as far as skill sets that you know haven't worked out in the W. You guys know, you, you guys know what I'm referencing here in terms of turns out that their ability to just, you know, learn a whole playbook and get down bit a whole bunch of reads and assignments just like wasn't remotely professional level. And that's something that's kind of hard to glean on tape, but that's something that you can learn from talking to coaches, doing background, doing your interviews. And, you know, if you're, you know, on the W side of this thing and with Spear, this is sort of a unique opportunity to see, you know, how quickly and how well she adapts to the Tennessee playbook, how many responsibilities she's able to pick up as these things go along. And I think that uh, go, bodes very well for her. Um, but in terms of the development arc as well, what you mentioned about in terms of showing a little more of the off-ball game, in terms of Wake Forest, you know, not, her freshman year was the only year she had decent, you know, more than like one decent to good teammate there. And so she had, you know, some interesting flashes of off-ball movement. That's a thing with the feel of the game that you get up more as you get up to speed. But she hasn't been really particularly good at that the past couple of years, but that's, you know, inseparable from the fact that she had no reason to be moving off the ball because she was the only person who could do anything to make shots for others at all. So I think as we go along in the season, that's something that I'm really interested in paying attention to is how that improves for her and how she gets a sort of feel for that and develops because she's, again, she's basically starting three years behind the eight ball there. And that's not a, a uh, that's not a knock on her. It's just a reason why th why this year becomes even that much more important in our evaluation and in our scout. Um, I think in terms of what we've seen on the defensive end from her, we'll see as the season progresses, you know, not trying to do huge takeaways on an entire half of the court just after one or two games. But given what we've seen so far on that end, I think it's safe to say that her off-ball movement May, may at least in sort of not from a will she make the W perspective, but from a you know personal valuation perspective, not evaluation, but valuation perspective, that off-ball movement and what it opens for herself and for teammates may be one of the sort of biggest sort of inflection points in terms of what we think of her. Hunter, has anything changed much for you on her front? Um, not really. I think this is just the player she is. Really good offensive player. There was some defensive stuff, and I'm trying to decide how much of that is learning the scheme, learning new teammates, versus learning just the defense in general. Because at Wake Forest, there wasn't that great infrastructure of playing in a high-level defense, playing on a team that was extremely good. So the defense is what could play her off the court. We even saw that in the exhibition game. She got played off the court for like almost an entire half because – Diana Taurasi, Diana Taurasi was cooking her own back-to-back-to-back to back to back threes. So, And there were some issues in the FSU game as well. Kelly Harper didn't mm -hmm. venture, which was which was good to see, um, just in terms of the growth there. Not that I blame Kelly Harper for that exhibition. But, yeah, it popped up again, although I thought it was maybe a little bit better. Although, again, you know, it's not Taurasi, so that would explain that. Diana Taurasi has also cooked much better guards than Jewel Spear in her life. And <laughs> has, like, has been for 20 years now. So she's not the first player to get cooked by Diana Taurasi, and that's not going to uh, be a huge deal for me specifically. <laughs> oh, fair point. Yeah, not at all. Not at all, but that's just kind of the thing for her. Is just the thought of if she's not playing great on defense, I think she's going to get taken off the floor, sure. and she won't be able to maximize what she can do on offense. Yeah. So 
Thanks for making Optimus Basketball your first listen every day. Join the team next back next week for continued coverage of women's college basketball. Have a great rest of your weekend, everyone.